thank you all for coming to the last Growth Institute night for this semester. Uh, we're finishing up apologetics and evangelism. And uh, next semester, we'll be starting up again second uh, Wednesday in January. So I believe that's the 11th. Um, we'll be starting up church history, historical theology uh, that semester. And so we have a lot of weeks to work through that time of Christ until Reformation era. Uh, and I've, I'm very excited about it. I think maybe Jason is less excited about it than I am, but yes, <laughs> yes I thought so. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> so Jason is still excited, but just less excited than I am. Um, but, but for tonight, we're still finishing up, like I said, apologetics and evangelism. And as I was working through this lesson for tonight, I was realizing how helpful it would be to have done this lesson even before we went out last week into the neighborhoods. Uh, the way that we um, had set up the schedule... We, Jason, taught on sharing the gospel, or sharing your, um, just being able to show the gospel within the neighborhoods. And so then the week afterwards, we actually did, we did that. But what's unique about our area, it's so diverse, right? And you do meet people right in our neighborhood from many different religious backgrounds. Um, so that's why I was like, huh, some of this would have been helpful for me even to uh, refresh myself on a lot of these things uh, before we had gone out last week. But before we get into uh, the actual study for tonight, I want to recap of last week's um, events and just how all of that went for those who were here last week. Because, I mean, you all might have been able to recap a little bit at the end of last week, but my group, we didn't because we were late coming back. Uh, so how did everything go last week when you went out into the neighborhoods? We did three houses that actually answered the door and had conversations. We, we, I think we said one, one was friendly, one was neutral, and one seemed a little cold. Uh, uh, but they all three of them had grown up in the church and didn't... Mm. You know, one said, I don't see the need. I, another one used the word, I don't feel compelled. They, they have bought into this new Northern Virginia kind of mindset of, you know, there's many ways and I don't see systematic religion or whatever sure. type type conversation. paths to this. Yeah, one said spiritual, one said value-oriented. Were you guys in the same group? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. S- same, same group. One was a German, la- a German lady, but she'd been over here for 30-some years, and I said, by now you're American, because <laughs> she was calling. So, you know, yeah, she's been here longer than I've been here. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, because she... She went would go to church, and she'd been actually over to here for a Christmas Eve service at least once or twice. Um, and she goes, but it's mostly just for the the nostalgia, not the 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 Christian belief. Sure, you know, so. I think that's true for many people, probably. But uh, Keith Floyd was able to get worked in the gospel. In all three locations, Good job, <laughs> if he Keith. was, I mean, the full gospel, he would slip it in and get it in there. So he did a good job. That is good. 
another group? <laughs> I think there's one other group besides mine. Hanover. Yeah. So he just moved into like six months ago to the new house that his dad rebuilt. So he was interested in coming in hopefully next Sunday, coming up for the Spanish um, service. Okay, good. So he was not interested, but not also negating that he would come in. Maybe he was just being polite. We'll see. <laughs> but, but that's good. Uh, my group, uh, we knocked on the first door. No one answered. Second door, we went in. Uh, we knocked on uh, the people that were living there. They invited us in, and then we stayed there the entire rest of the night. And so it was, uh, we didn't want to be rude and leave too, too soon, and that's why it was difficult to maybe, like, or to get back uh, to meet up with the rest of you all. Uh, but it was really good. It was a um, Muslim family, and they are also new in the area, and so... Uh, we had good conversations and tried to steer it towards the gospel, and we had good gospel conversation. So, but they were very hospitable, and it was very nice. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad we we're able to do. It. I think it was definitely for me, at least, a better experience than I expected. So, would you guys agree with that, or was it kind of? Would you do it again? <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I'll do it again. <laughs> Maybe. I thought all of our, like, I was with Jorge, and our conversations were friendly and short. Um, it was yeah. very clear people didn't want to talk any further. Yeah. I think we spoke with, like, nine or ten households. Okay. Um, it, like, you guys got to one, you guys got to three, we got to nine or ten. Out of that, like, 13, I don't think anybody that we talked to, I'm not very confident that anybody we talked to is a believer. Sure. Um, yeah. So that just kind of show, I mean, shows you a sampling of what God has here, that we can make it to 13 homes, 14 homes, and not run into anybody that's going to give us a evangelical answer. Yeah. Even. And they're, as you're saying, just right around right. our church building. Uh, we meet here regularly, obviously, every week to worship together. And there's so many people who don't know the Lord just a couple steps out. And I think it's very helpful for us as well just to be reminded of that, just to be able to put faces and names with the people that live right here in the neighborhood that we could be um, praying for and maybe make uh, second trips. Next week, uh, we are doing Christmas caroling. And so this is a great opportunity just to uh, make another touch point, basically, with those homes. So, yeah. Um, great. Great. With some of my guys, actually. There was, How'd that go? It was great. They, they called it training. We just hiked the trail for like three or four days. So lots of... That sounds so much fun. Lots of great <laughs> relationship building and uh, some really good... Uh, gospel conversations out there as well. That's good. So that, I, I did want to be here. I did, you know, feel the feel that I missed out a little. Convenient bit. schedule yeah. being out of town. I know. I've always wanted to through hike the Appalachian Trail, but I think after Don't being out there for three or four days, I've decided that 
probably a week with some buddies would be enough. Would be great to fill up. Through hiking is just it's such a massive commitment, yeah. and well, I think it would just get long and maybe borderline boring. And I don't sure, know. that was but, a desire before I was married. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's exactly right. It's like wanting to be a pilot. Yeah, yeah. that'll be great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, tonight. Uh, world religions and the gospel. Uh, so before we jump in, uh, I want us to discuss the gospel and the doctrine of God. Uh, we should first ask ourselves, what is the gospel? And this is what we've been talking about this whole semester um, and how to defend it, right? how to share it. But I want us to reorient ourselves again. Uh, what is the gospel? And you can see the questions I have on here. How much does someone need to know about God in order to be saved? Uh, we say that the gospel is this. We talk about Christ. We talk about his perfect life. We talk about um, that he is the son of God and he died on the cross for our sins. Uh, we talk about the punishment for sin is death. And so therefore we need the savior, right? And this is the perfect savior, Christ himself. And he took our sins upon himself, upon the cross, on the cross, and so that when we f- have faith in him and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our s- sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that he died, was in the grave for three days, and he rose again. Right? So this is the gospel message we talk about. And that's all things that we have to believe in. But how much knowledge, how much do we need to know um, of the gospel in order to be saved. And really that question is asking, how much do we need to know who God is in order to be saved? Uh, when we talk about theology and having a relationship like with God, we're talking about our knowledge of God. As we, when we grow as Christians, we're talking about how we grow in our knowledge of the Lord. And as our knowledge grows, we grow more in love with him. So it's head and heart working together in conjunction but the initial justification, what knowledge do we need to know? And I think this is important to identify because there will be different answers given to this in different uh, religions or different denominations even within the Christian religion. Uh, so how much do we need to know about God in order to actually be saved? What, what, what are some things you would say? What, what's crucial? What's primary? It's, the question is kind of odd because it's, it's basing our, our saving on a knowledge thing versus, versus a faith thing. And we're saved by faith, not in the knowledge of a certain level of you know these eight, eight things, and sure. you believe these eight things. It's at the point at which your faith is on Jesus to save you, you know, and, and what does it take for your faith to realize that Jesus has the capability to save you mm. for you to really have that faith? So what's the relationship then between faith and knowledge? I agree, obviously, 100% that ultimately we're saved by faith alone. This is what we profess as Protestant Christians. Uh, we're saved by faith alone, but we have faith in something. What is this something? It's the knowledge that God is our Savior, 
It's the knowledge that God is, Christ is the son of God, that he is divine and that he is human, that he is the technical term, hypostatic union, right? Uh, so we, there are these knowledge claims that we make that we have to have faith in in order to have salvation. So what are some primary doctrines that we hold to as Christians that we are to have faith in? So the Apostles' Creed is a great start. You can look there. What did the... What did the thief on the cross next to Jesus, what did he know? That's a great question. Because, yeah. you know, tonight you will be whatever, so he, I'd say he's on the cross. That, that's a very good place to begin. He, he didn't even know begin. he was going to be re- re- resurrected. Yeah. I, I, would make, I, I would make a case that he knew something about the one dying on the cross next to him, right? Uh and what was that something that he knew? What are some other thoughts? Yeah. And he would have had baked into his kind of, I guess, worldview of the day, too. You know, there, there would have been a lot that we could assume that he would know. There is a God. God is the creator. God is the judge. Mm. I'm a sinner. That's why I'm hanging here on this cross, mm. deserving of this punishment that, was, that came up earlier in the conversation. But crucially that this one is the son of God and doesn't deserve to be here and won't stay here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this isn't the end of his story. Yeah. So really, our, our knowledge of the Lord uh, for salvation really centers in on the person of Christ, right, and his work. Um, and the fact that he is the son of God, he is God himself, uh, and that he lived a perfect life, right? And so these are some things we say that we need to have knowledge of in order to have salvation. Uh, the problem is, is when we start to add too much to this list, right? You need to know this, you need to know that, and you start to make it uh, very just an intellectual faith, which is not necessarily just intellectual, right? Are there any other things we would want to identify I think I would start with that there is a God to whom we must give an account. Mm. Um, who has then made a way yes. for us through Christ. To give an account. I mean that, uh, by recognizing that, we're recognizing that we're guilty. Right? And the fact that we need a savior. We need saving from something. Right? So we need to have the idea of sin. Um, yeah. So the idea that he is Savior and that he is Lord and how they work together, how he's both. One of those ladies who said, I believe in the goodness of humanity. And I said, I was thinking and didn't say, have you seen humanity? <laughs> you know, yeah. that goodness, yeah. you know, yeah. you know hum- uh, 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 that I think she was trying to say people were inherently good and we got to look for it. And I'm saying if you have to look for it, they're not inherently good. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So we, we're not inherently good because of sin, right? And so therefore we need saving. That's, that's the whole purpose, right? We need, we need saving from our sins. So 
Um, so those are some things that we've identified uh, who God is. So we're going to be talking about two, two different things really tonight. I mean, identifying who this God is that people worship in different religions or different denominations, really. Uh, and then how we have access to that God. So you have to identify who this God is and then how you can actually have a real, right relationship with this God. Um, one of my verses that, I was going to say one of my favorite verses, but I don't know if it's my favorite verse. Uh, or a verse I like, Ephesians 2.18. I think it's just a really nice way to show how we have access to God uh, through God. Right? We have access to God through God, through the triune God. So we worship the triune God through the triune God. And I think Ephesians 2.18 shows this well. It says, For through him, this is Christ, it's always through Christ because he is the mediator. It's through Christ we both have access in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. And so we see we have access to the triune God. That's the God we worship through the triune God. Uh, so that's what we would say as Christians. So now I uh, want us to look at four different groups. Um, and I think are probably the most popular groups that are around us and just how we can engage with them uh, in um, evangelism. So I might get some pushback on this first one. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying it's a, it's a different religion, uh, but it's... It's different from us. Uh, so we could see the first one here, engaging Roman Catholics. Um, we are distinct from Roman Catholics. We would say we're Protestants, and then even more so we're Baptists, right? And so there's a distinction. What's the distinction? Um, I would say the distinction is more so in not saying who God is, but how we have access to this God. Remember, those are the two things we're really talking about. Who is God? We have to identify that then how can we have a real, right relationship with him? I would say Roman Catholics, for the most part, have a pretty good uh, theology of just doctrine of God proper um, because, I mean, it was defended in, or it was developed within the early church the same time ours was. But what happened was just as time went along, uh, things started to get corrupted a little bit and just how we have a right relationship with this God started to change. And so the answer to that question started to change. Um, so you can see, who is God? We're not going to really tackle that because I think they have, for the most part, a, a great theology, at least, on who this God is. They would confess that he is the triune God, right? Um, but the second question here, how do they believe someone is made right before God? Um, by answering that question, we're going to begin with talking about authority. Where does the source of authority come from? Uh, for us, we've talked about authority, right? What is really real and what answers that question, that metaphysical question where we talked about those terms? Uh, we would say it's ultimately God's word alone, God's special revelation to us. This is how we know God, through God's word alone, right? Um, that's our source of authority. And this is why we're able to say things like we know who God is and that he is this because scripture tells us. Um, and it tells us how we have access to God through Christ, his son, right? Um, and his perfect death on the cross. But how 
would Roman Catholics answer this? And also, I just want to say, we're going to be so general tonight, and we're not diving deep in any of these belief systems, because there's absolutely no time for that. And also, I'm not competent in a lot of those areas as well. So, um, But you could see, uh, like I said, the question really becomes, what is their source of authority? And for Roman Catholics, uh, I, I wrote down a couple things here, but you could see some of these quotes on the bottom. Um, talks about tradition and scripture. Um, you could see, uh, I'll read the first quote, I believe is what you have on your note sheet. The church does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from Holy Scripture alone. We would say we do, but here it says it's not by Scripture alone. Both tradition and Scripture must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. So, as many of us may know, right, uh, we have the Roman Catholic Church has the Pope, who uh, ultimately started as the Bishop of Rome, who just ultimately got more power than the other bishops in the early church, and started to be able to um, speak. Uh, revelation ultimately uh, from God in the same, in the sense that it was held to the same um, standard as, as Scripture, and then over time, the tradition of the church and how the church was formed um, was put on the same level of authority as God's word. And so then, when that's done, you could say, "Well, look, we've always done it this way," and because this is our tradition, because this is what the Pope said. Way back then, this is how we should do things. Um, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that the Bible has authority, but it is not sufficient and can only be rightly interpreted by the clergy, by the Pope, or by um, different individuals, different clergy members. The Church is above Scripture, I would say, in a sense, according to the Roman Catholics, because the church determined scripture. And they would look at, um, within the early church, the Roman Catholic church, they would identify, they're the ones who recognize which books were canonical or which books should be put in our Bible. So the church and its tradition is what formed the Bible. So in a sense, tradition even has some level of authority even above scripture. Uh, But we would say, well, no, Scripture needs to uh, authenticate itself. And Scripture is what um, tells us what a church is, right? So it's the other way around for us. Uh, The Pope and their interpretations of Scripture um, is just as authoritative as God's Word uh, because they have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And they're able to absolve sin and, and those sort of things. So let's look at oh this other quote I don't think I've read. It says on your note sheet, if anyone says that by faith alone uh, the impious are justified, right? The um, those who are sinners, the impious are justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to co 
operates in order to the obtaining of grace of justification. Let him be an anathema. So let him be accursed is what the Roman Catholic Church is saying is if you confess that we are justified by faith alone. And you can see this, was, this came out of the Council of Trent, which was pretty much a response to the Reformation. So if you think of the Reformation, if you, and we'll be talking about this, like I said, more next semester, um, with Martin Luther, if you've heard of that name, if you've heard of John Calvin, Aldrich Zwingli, these are some of the individuals who started to recognize, wait, we as a church have been getting it wrong because we're saved by faith alone. And so this was a Catholic's response to that. And the Catholic Church hasn't necessarily formally um, changed their position on this even to t- today. So, how should we engage Roman Catholics? How should we engage Roman Catholics? One of the things actually we didn't talk about fully, and I don't think we'll have time, uh, is how this ultimately um, changes the answer to how does one have a right relationship with, with God? Because by tradition, since tradition now has even a sense of a higher authority in scripture. Uh, tradition says you need to do uh, these certain types of work. So we receive grace, justifying grace from God through the sacraments. We receive justifying grace through um, different things by, um, uh, by doing different things. And so one of the youth retreat shirts that we had a couple not this past fall retreat but the fall retreat before within the student ministry the theme was imputation not infusation and so it was talking about the difference here between the roman catholics and us as protestants protestants is we believe as protestants christ saves you when you put your faith in christ alone instantly Right? You're justified, made right, declared right before God instantaneously. The Roman Catholics they would say, well, it's more of a gradual infusion. Um, and so if you think of the doctrines of justification and sanctification, so let's remind ourselves again, justification is um, you're being made right before God instantaneously once you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Right? So that's your salvation. You're justified before God. But then after that, we grow in our faith. We become more like Christ. We become more and more holy as a result of our justification. That's sanctification. We appropriately, I would say appropriately, distinguish the two. right? Uh, so we don't get mixed up in the idea of does our good works save us? Does that play a part in our justification or not? Um, and within the Roman Catholic tradition, those categories are mixed. And so uh, we work towards our justification as it's gradually infused into us. So again, with that, how should we engage Roman Catholics when we're sharing the gospel? I, I do want to say this, that I do believe there are some genuine believers within the institution of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, so just... I, I don't think they should be in the institution of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, but I think there could be de- definitely genuine believers in the institution of the Roman Catholic Church. 
but for the most part, I mean, the, the theology and the doctrine is wrong. And so how should we engage Roman Catholics? What, what are some of your guys' thoughts in this? How would you? Yes. Jesus, like who Jesus is. And then if you believe in Jesus, so well, then what did Jesus say about these things? And kind of turn back to the scripture for the authority that is, is presented there. Wonderful. Yeah, I mean, we have the benefit in the sense of starting off on the common ground that we believe Scripture is God's Word, right? And so we can look at Scripture and see what Jesus says about himself. Um, one of the big things is um, I would talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, uh, because, again, we're asking, where is this source of authority? Where should we go to to find our answers? The Roman Catholic would say, yes, Scripture. But then also look at these different church councils, these ecumenical church councils that happen throughout time. We should find answers to that as well there. So I would talk about um, Christ, but the sufficiency of Scripture, how Scripture alone is authoritative on its own, right? And I would also talk about then the sufficiency of, of Christ's, of Christ's death in salvation. Uh, Christ's death on sal- in salva- uh, to bring us salvation, I should say, uh, is perfectly sufficient to cover all of our sins for us. So we don't have to do anything, right? That's what we believe in. We don't add, contribute anything to our salvation. It's through Christ alone because his death on the cross is perfectly sufficient for us. Um, so those are some areas I would focus in on. But obviously it depends on the person itself. What we've been talking about this whole semester, again, is asking questions, asking them questions to just being able to engage in conversation with them and try to understand where they're coming from, right? What they actually believe. Maybe they don't actually hold on to the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, so asking questions is always imp- appropriate. And um, starting on the common ground in the sense that you could look to Scripture and see what Jesus says about himself and how one has access access to God. Um, you could see I wrote down these passages, Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, very popular passage. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work, right? You can look to scripture alone. I think this passage is a good one to look to the sufficiency of scripture. You don't need this um, church tradition with a capital T um, to tell you, um, to give, to be authoritative, I guess I should say. Um, and how in your doctrine, in your theology. And then Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, another popular one that we, many of us have learned through Awana, if you did that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, right? We don't contribute anything. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I think that speaks to the sufficiency of Christ's death on the cross.
Is there any comments or add-ins or questions about anything in this first category? On this category, also the next one that you're going to do, you're going to find a lot of folks that are culturally identified, but they're not, they're nominally involved with (coughs) theirs. So even though somebody's a Catholic may not know what they do or has bought into what we would think is common ground of, you know, they believe in Jesus, you know, which would be the Catholic Church of stands, but they consider themselves Catholic because it's tradition. Their family has been for a generation, but yeah. they don't even, they don't even have a personal relationship with the Catholic Church yeah. that they may attend, it, just true. like the Baptists can attend just on Christmas and Easter. That's what I was going to say. That could be true for I mean, people of all yeah. different faiths. Right. All right, next one, engaging Jews. So, again, here there could be many different types, right? You could be a hard Orthodox Jew, or you could be more, um, just more modern. Uh, so there's, there's different types within these categories as well. But <clears throat> who is God? It's, it's religious, but it's also a, I don't know if ethnic is right or whatever you want to say. But yeah, people you're right. identify themselves, I'm Jewish, but I'm an atheist. Sure. Yeah. You're, you're right. So we're because talking... Family culture. I mean, because they are a group yeah. of people. Right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's good to recognize. But then within the context of uh, someone who is religiously Jewish, um, let's look at these questions, the same questions that we asked, right? Who is God? How can one... or? How do they believe someone is made right before God? This one might be easier than some of the others for us to answer because we might be more familiar because it's, I mean, we know the Old Testament, hopefully. Uh, We know uh, just the history of the Jewish nation more so. Um, I say that because um, I was surprised about how much of the Jewish and going to Israel, they were... Starting commun- I mean, the, in Israel, they're starting communes. They were communists. They were anti-God. Mm. I was like, "You're Zionists going back?" It just was odd to me. Yeah. But it's a it's a real. I mean, it's a subset. But I do understand what you're saying. Even with the religious, there's a spectrum. Yeah. But I didn't realize that there was this whole other subsection. That all the people, a lot of people, going back to Israel, they were atheists. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is surprising, right? When we think these are God's people. These are yeah, like God's chosen people and first off they missed the Messiah and now they're completely leaving all of their heritage uh that we see in the Old Testament. But um so who is God? Uh they I I put in Deuteronomy 6, 4, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, the Lord, they believe in one God, right? Rightly so, Yahweh. Uh, the thing is, they don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe that uh, Jesus is the Son of God. They don't believe that he is the Messiah. And so that's, I mean, what we identified in the beginning of this, what's crucial, what's primary, what we need to believe in in order to have salvation, right? So that's why I want us to identify those things first, because there's some religions 
that come close, that seem to come close, but yet they're so far off because they're missing the primary thing, Christ himself. Um, so for authority, they go to the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, right? Um, also for authority, like for a source of authority, they go to what's called the Talmud, uh, which is pretty much a commentary, if you want to think of it in that way, of um, the Torah uh, by rabbis throughout history. Um, so, um, most of them were, the most famous one was from the first century, or you know, from Christ, or right at that time of Christ. So, mm-hmm. p- partially it was a response to Christianity that they created the Talmud. Yeah, yeah. See, and I uh, don't have. I'm not incredibly familiar with it, so I would like to do more research as well. But, yeah, it could be definitely a response to Christ uh, or not. I'm not as familiar, but um, you're, you're saying it was a response? It was right before. It was the one, the, one of the more famous ones was before it, Israel fell in 70 yeah. AD. And so it had, it had to be in, in that, yeah. that period yeah. And a lot of the same things that you see in the Bible talking about the Jews are prevalent in yeah. the Pharisees that became written hardcore into the Talmud. Yeah. The Sadducees disappeared. Yeah, I see. Well, and these are ultimately just the extra laws, right? So that uh, was never necessarily explicitly mentioned in, in the Old Testament and in Scripture itself. Um, and so, how does one believe one's made right before God? I mean, keeping the law, right? Trying to keep it as, as literal as possible for the hope of their salvation. Uh, how should we engage with Jews? With the Jewish nation who are practicing uh, Jewish Judaism. Well, again, ask questions. Uh, engage with them on a personal level. Become friends, right? That should always be the answer, no matter what religious background they're a part of. Um, but I think one of my favorite things is, I mean, Messianic prophecies, right? If you believe the Old Testament, if you believe the Torah, the first five books, I mean, look at the Messianic prophecies and show, I mean, this is the Messiah that has been prophesied about throughout the Old Testament, I mean, Isaiah 53 is always like the um, the crown jewel, really, of um, prophecies that we point to, especially when it comes to like engaging Jewish people uh, who would uh, recognize that to be scripture. Uh, historically, though, the Jewish nation has really identified the suffering servant to be the nation of Israel themselves. Um, but, yeah, just be engaging them, praying uh, regularly. Obviously, this whole process when we're engaging people for evangelism obviously has to be um, drenched with prayer. But, I mean, many messianic prophecies all throughout the Old Testament point to Christ. So, I know we're going pretty quick just because there's so much information on here. Is there any um, thing you guys want to talk about or address for the second category here? I have um, 
quite a few girlfriends who are Jewish. Uh, one family that we've been getting to know a lot over the last two years. And I would say that they would probably consider themselves somewhat practicing Jews. Their mm. kids do Hebrew school. They do like a Jewish summer camp for the entire summer, every summer. They don't necessarily go to synagogue a lot. But I don't know. I find them really hard to engage at times because... I think it is very cultural for them. Like, they, they see themselves as culturally Jewish. They celebrate the high holidays and that yeah. kind of thing. But um, <coughs> I don't know that they really believe a lot of what they do. It's more out of tradition. Yeah. Um, so I think that they it, it is a hard group to engage and, and they don't, I, I feel like, it, at least the parents, like, they're familiar with things like Isaiah, but they don't, it's not like they're studying the Torah or, you know, so, yeah. um, but they, they see themselves as deeply spiritual. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a group, I think, it takes a lot of prayer to soften their hearts. And they've had a whole history of Christians harming the Jewish folks yeah. and their culture, so... They go with a negative connotation towards it. Sometimes my kids have more success than anything. Like the mom was saying this past week, um, oh, it's so funny because we're a Jewish family, but my kids used to love this app where you would shave off Santa's beard, like on their tablet. And so Jesse, I don't think, realized that they were Jewish, and he, like, said something he's like you're jewish and they were like yeah and he was like do you kill a lamb at passover and she was like no we don't do that you know and he was like well why not you're supposed to like she like looked at him and he was like because you're supposed to do that for the forgiveness of your sins and she's just like how does he know all you know like so it did open like a funny conversation with her i didn't tell you about that on the sideline the other night we had a hilarious conversation about it but it was like yeah well because we believe that christ was once for all so we don't celebrate passover but he wants to know about you celebrating passover so i mean sometimes kids can Pull out the nuggets better than we can. She might have really been offended good. if I had asked her if she sacrificed a lamb. But you know, well, um, Jesse, it's just a genuine question. Yeah, and like just, tell me about it. You know, yeah. so I think like it does go with like deep conversation and relationship because it's so easy as a believer to come across as offensive to our Jewish friends. Mm. It, it's interesting in in in, in Israel right now. They don't. There's no sacrifices, but the Samaritans. Do practice the, the you know the sacrifices, you know. So that you know, even in their own country, the, the, there is no being sacrificed for sin. So if, if Jesus is in it, there is no sacrifice happening anywhere for the sin. So hmm. they wouldn't be covered by Jewish. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, just asking those questions in a genuine way, maybe bring your kids in. Right? I mean, and like these conversations could really only happen with others who are genuinely wanting to engage, right? Um, and to get there, I mean, that's why friendships, having these conversations within the context of a friendship is really important. So, so relationship is always important, but I think yeah. it's extra important here. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Um, all right, so the third category we have here is engaging Muslims. I, I kind of want to talk more about um, engaging uh, 
uh, Mormons, Latter-day Saints, uh, a little bit more. Uh, so let's do the Latter-day Saints one first, and then we have time we could get to Muslims. <laughs> so, <coughs> so sharing the gospel with uh, Mormons. Who has had in recently a Mormon knock on their door, one of the missionaries, to engage with them in salvation and the Church of Latter-day Saints? And you know. well, there was there were um, some missionaries that would regularly come through my neighborhood, my nan, Pastor Sam's. And so I've engaged with them uh, on a regular basis, like almost weekly for a moment, like previously, a while ago. And then Sam and I both um, had them over and talked more with them. And so it's very fascinating for me and just to like learn more about what they believe in. And what's, what I want to talk about Mormons specifically first, to make sure we have time for them, uh, it's because it can be very deceiving because they sound very similar to what we believe as Christians. Uh, they use the same terminology. Uh, as they talk about um, faith in Christ for salvation. Uh, and so for just the average Christian, it could sound very confusing. What, is this, what makes us, First Baptist Church, different from the Church of Latter-day Saints. And so I want us to talk about that, then how do we engage with them on the, with the gospel if one were to knock on your door. So who is God? How do they believe someone is made right before God? Um, so I pulled out a couple things here from the Book of Mormon and then other uh, parts as well that they would recognize as authoritative to some degree and for their teaching. Um, so the first part is kind of addressing to how does one have access to God? How does one gain salvation, have salvation? Uh, you can see Second Nephi in the Book of Mormon. It says, For we labor diligently to write to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ. So, I mean, it sounds very Christian in the beginning here. And to reconcile to God, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do, right? So you add in that last bit where uh, ultimately they would believe that we're saved by grace from God, right? And it's by faith in Christ. Uh, But it's this grace that enables you then to do the work that you need to do in order to be saved. Um, so again, it's work is added into it after all we can do. And so you have that last bit there. It's like, oh, you're so close to being biblical, and then um, you missed it. Uh, the third article of faith here is another, um, it's another uh, thing you can look at. It says, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved. How? by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Again, here, obedience is through, I mean, salvation is through obedience. Um, Again, it's grace from God enables you then to be obedient to, which is what you need to do in order to have salvation. Uh, There's a lot of things, obviously, uh, that they believe that's way different than us, but we're not, again, going to be able to have a whole lot of time. One, One of the most important quotes or sections that we should look at I think that really hits the nail on the head of why 
we are 100% different than Latter-day Saints is this next one. Um, This is from Joseph Smith himself, right? The one who started Mormonism ultimately. And uh, this is a sermon here. And you can see he said, we have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see you have got to learn how to be gods yourselves and to be kings and priests to God the same way all gods have done before you. Right, so. Exactly. Right? So this God is just another good Mormon on some other plane of existence. By being a good Mormon, you get to be God and then. Yeah, and so the language they would use here ultimately is for those who keep the commandments and have been baptized in the Church of Latter-day Saints, they have the opportunity then to get to the highest heaven and be uh, reach exaltation, where they will become then a god themselves. Um, others uh, could reach a different level of heaven. So there's different um, ways of salvation even in, in this theology pyramid scheme (laughs) yeah but i mean this right here right is i think we just need to go to this to show i mean we can't have anything to do with this we believe that there is only one god the alpha and the omega no one before no one after um and so you can see i pulled some verses here in isaiah isaiah 50 or 43 10 before me no god was formed nor shall there be any after me I mean, you can't reconcile these texts right together. Isaiah 44, 6, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. Um, And so these are some of the main passages I looked at with them. And uh, when you go through them with them, use your Bible. Their Bible is not the same. Because like the, the John one, you know, the the word was God uh, was uh, in the beginning. It, it, they they was it, a it, God. They they, they change. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a change because I've read it with them. It's like, wait a minute, that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got got up there, <laughs> yeah. which you know, thing, well, this is how you know Joseph Smith interpreted it. Oh. So you changed it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had that. So I lived in Arizona. So there's lots of Mormons in that area. Mesa specifically. When I was growing up. So one of my friends is Mormon. So I read the Pro the Great Price and uh, the Book of Mormon when I was young, just to see what the whole thing was about. Yeah. I had that same conversation to him. And what he did was he went to John, um, ten thirty four. He said, "Is it written in your laws?" I said, "You are gods." So that's what they hang their hat on when it comes to that part. So they they they're already trained as a way to refute it using actual biblical text as a way to kind of try to usurp. Yeah, yeah, and I was impressed with the different Mormon missionaries I talked with how well they did know Scripture. Um, so they are well trained for sure. Uh, you're on a workspace thing, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So they have to be well trained in order to uh, be exalted, right? To reach the highest heaven. Um, so yeah, uh, how should we engage Mormons? Emphasize one God from Isaiah. I mean, this is who our God is. He is one God, and he is the triune God, right? Salvation is through Christ alone, um, through faith alone, through grace alone. So 
I mean, for our justification, there isn't these obedient acts that we need to do. That comes through our sanctification afterwards. We've talked about this, right? And so then, you can look at other passages. You can see I have on here Romans 6.23, famous verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, right, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Romans 11.6, for by grace, for it is by grace, and it's no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would not, will not, no longer be grace. So that's Mormonism. Um, so then Muslims, yeah, like I said, we don't have a whole lot of time here. But uh, the house we actually visited last week was a Muslim home, and it was, it was fun talking with them. And as I was doing more studies for, to prepare for this, um, the way they shared with us, because I asked them, how do they believe uh, one has... Um, access to God, or how does one gain salvation, or how they understand salvation. And they pretty much told us that you could think of the idea of a devil and an angel, right, on each shoulder, telling you to do good or telling you to do evil, and pretty much at the end of your life, it will weigh out on a scale, a divine scale, um, and if it weighs more on the good side, you have salvation. If it weighs more on the um, evil side, you don't. And Ultimately, they also said that Muhammad, the prophet, uh, could tilt the scale for you as well, uh, potentially. So it breaks the tie, yeah. And so we talked about Christ in our conversation and how well we don't have to worry about the devil and the angel to tell us what's right and wrong because it's through faith alone. We can't do anything on our own to earn salvation. We have to be fully dependent on the work of Christ. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's like Muhammad tilting the scale. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> so. Um, he didn't get up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He didn't get up. Um, how do they believe one's right before God also? They have the five pillars of Islam. Uh, there are different things you can do. We don't have time to work through all of that right now. But how should we engage Muslims? Talk about Jesus, right? So they are willing to talk about Jesus since they believe Jesus was a prophet. Uh, they put him on the, they put many other prophets on the same level as Jesus, inappropriately, but they like to talk about Jesus. So talk about Jesus. Um, explain the seriousness of sin, the need for sacrifice. They believe Allah is um, a holy, wrathful God, right? And so if that is true, talk about the seriousness of sin. Your good can't weigh out your bad because one sin will make you eternally condemned. That's what we believe as Christians. That's why we are completely hopeless apart from Christ. Um, so talk about the seriousness of sin. And then emphasize the resurrection. Jason always says, if you want to start somewhere, always start with the resurrection. And I think that's a great place also to start with, to discuss when it comes to engaging with Muslims. All right. I know we went super fast here, but was there anything... Anyone wanted to bring up, have a question on, or comment about um, before we end tonight? All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this evening that we um, had to just to look at how to engage many different people, Lord, in this world. Uh, ultimately for your glory and for your honor in sharing the gospel, Lord, to them so that they may come to know you, Lord, as well. 
as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to you except through Christ alone, Lord. And I pray that we are regularly burdened with this gospel message, Lord, and regularly proclaim that through Christ means through faith alone in Christ, Lord, as Lord and Savior. Um, I just pray for this uh, evening that we all get home safely, Lord, and that you will regularly be on our hearts and our lips, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.